So let me bring a small little term to you because we're dealing with a lot of issues in our world today, <clears throat> whether it's um, you know, women's rights, gay rights, transgenderism, um, a whole, whole host of stuff, political stuff, wars. We're dealing with a lot of issues in the world, okay? Here's one phrase that I want you to kind of muse on. Cancel culture. Cancel culture. Some of you may or may not know what that is. How many of you know what cancel culture kind of is? Raise your hands. Great. How many of you have offended someone else? Every hand should probably be up, right? At some point in our lives, we've all offended somebody. How many of you have been offended? Oh, look how quick those arms go up. (laughs) Boy, it's so easy to see when we've been offended, but not quite so easy to see when we have offended others. Cancel culture. A lot of images and current event situations come to mind when that phrase is mentioned. The actor, Mr. Bean... Rowan Atkinson, compared cancel culture to, quote, a medieval mob looking for someone to burn. Cancel culture kind of took its place probably in the last five years more so than ever, where celebrities and people have been using whatever means necessary to kind of cancel people out of their lives, out of society, out of any benefit from society, whether it be financial uh, financial gain or financial even provision, um, hiring, firing, we'll get into that, but it's almost a complete Xing out of that person from life. That's cancel culture, right? And we're going to touch on that a little bit more. <clears throat> but cancel culture has rocked the lives of many famous individuals. For example, J.K. Rowling, author of the Harry Potter series, has been fiercely under attack for voicing concerns over transgenderism having the capacity to possibly endanger women's rights, okay? Mike Lindell, the CEO of MyPillow, was vehemently pursued by cancel culture over his endorsement of President Donald Trump. Even former U.S. presidents Washington, Lincoln, and Jefferson have been canceled by San Francisco's school district, renaming their schools that were once named after those with ties to slavery or dishonorable legacies, and the list goes on. Whether we think they're justified or not, this is the culture now in which we live. But it's interesting and sad to note that the general public is more than glad to see those individuals canceled or punished, even if they've changed their positions or genuinely asked for forgiveness. Do you notice that? It doesn't matter if you apologize, try to reconcile in any such way, you deserve to be punished as far as it can go. That's cancel culture. The real crux of the matter is that the world has no place for forgiveness. Forgiveness is viewed as a weakness, even a travesty of justice, despite the fact that the justice of cancel culture is subjective. It's never really well-defined, and it's always becoming more cruel and unrelentingly insatiable in its punishment. In fact, it's really not about removing support anymore. It's about destroying the person 
as much as possible and making that person suffer for as hard and as long as possible. Want you out. There's another word that we have that we as Christians believe that kind of labels that hatred. It's a hate towards an individual. We don't see them as a soul created in the likeness of God that deserves certain, certain ways to be treated simply because they're made in God's image. Nothing can be further from the truth when it comes to the church or the body of Christ, the family of God, the brothers and sisters of Christ, in terms of how we are supposed to act, right? Bitterness and unforgiveness is often likened to a poison made for your enemy, but drinking it yourself expecting the other person to die. It can tear you up. One of those ways that you can see unforgiveness played out is in the parable of the king and the debtor in Matthew 18. Is a prime example of how God desires our forgiveness to be modeled. The story details a man that owed a king a large amount of money, so large that it would be impossible for him to repay in a lifetime. So this man, he begs for mercy when threatened with prison, and the king decides to have mercy on him, right? And forgives him the debt. But then that same man goes out and finds a man who owed him only a hundred days wage. And he begins to choke him. Give me back what you owe. And demand to be repaid. And when that man asked for forgiveness, he refused and put him in prison. So then a servant of the king saw what happened and reported it to the king. And the king dragged that man back in and said, what are you doing? I forgave you this huge debt only to have you not show compassion to someone else. So the king threw him into prison to repay his debts. See, cancel culture is not only a culture of unforgiveness, but it is a cancel culture that not just does certain things, it delights in the suffering of others. It finds pleasure and glee in the suffering of another individual. That's why this is a heart issue in the world. It's not justice, it's revenge. I once had a best friend in high school who once said that when he got offended or wronged by somebody, he didn't get even, he got ahead. Yeah, and that is the culture that we're dealing with. In a more biblical sense, we're dealing with a world and a culture that is held captive by the devil, blinded by Satan, indulging in the desires of the flesh and the mind, children of wrath because they have not been made born again or made alive in Christ. In an effort to quell the conscience of its moral failures, our world makes itself feel better by seeking justice on others, which is really just revenge. It's the best way to feel better about yourself, right? They tell you, you want want to feel better about how you look? Find somebody uglier than you. You want to find out how how to feel better about your your poverty situation, find someone who's more poor than you, okay? But in Romans chapter 12, it says that we're not to be conformed to this world, right? But be transformed by the renewing of our minds. The church is not immune to cancel culture. In the world, cancel culture is manifested in public shaming, a call to be fired, removal from positions, lawsuits, loss of fans, loss of friendships, and more. 
But in the church, cancel culture can be summed up kind of in one term, unforgiveness. Okay? And our text for today takes us to Matthew chapter 5. So please turn there. Matthew chapter 5. And we're going to read from 21 to 26. And I'm sorry I didn't uh, give that. Oh, he's got it. Look at that. He is on top of it. So let's read this together. You have heard that it was said of old that you should not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment, right? But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire, or fire, the, hells of, the fires of hell, okay? So if you are offering your gift at the altar, this is where the worship time comes in. You come in to worship. Because he's talking to Jews, right? Present your offering. But this is very, 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 very applicable to you and me. When we come before God and we alter, offer our gift, okay? And there remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift, right? Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going to him with court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge, the judge to the guard, and you be put into prison. That is our text. Truly, I say to you, you will never get out until you've paid the last penny. You are going to pay. You are going to suffer. And we, as Christians, don't want to pursue this type of behavior. Okay? And I'll tell you why. The Jewish leaders in the days of Christ neglected the punishment prescribed for murder, which was death, and they changed it to a court liability. Okay? They not only neglected to obey God's word on the matter, but also reduced murder to nothing more than just the act of taking a life. Okay? And never touched on the heart attitude which is affirmed in 1 John 3.15, which says, whoever hates his brother is a murderer. Okay? Because Jesus desires perfection in thought, word, and deed. We are to be holy as God is holy. We are to be imitators of Christ. And that comes from the inside out, not just the outside. Amen? We want our hearts to imitate the heart of Christ, not just our hands. We want to love what he loves, and that comes from the inner man. God is a God of relationships. Nothing speaks truer than that of the cross, where Christ gave his life to restore relationships between man and God, right? And here in Matthew 5, it's more than just pointing out the problem with the heart. It's not just pointing out, hey, you have a heart problem, but there's some prescriptive stuff in here, okay? We also see how to restore the relationship with one another. And in this case, our fellow man. Why? Because number one, God is holy and we should be holy. And we're called to be imitators of God. And just as God forgives, we need to be a people who forgive. Number two, it's a command. We're supposed to forgive one another. That's seen throughout all of scripture especially the New Testament. We need to be a people that love one another and forgive one another, right? Number three, 
it is a sin to withhold forgiveness. Let's look at this passage one more time and see how we'll respond here in a minute. But number four, it's how the world will see that we are his disciples by our love for one another. When we forgive one another, the world sees something that it cannot demonstrate. Forgiving one another. How is it that you guys can accomplish this? By the Spirit of God and the love of Christ compelling us. So if you've got a pen and some paper, I'm going to give you a few things to kind of glean from this passage, specifically uh, verse 23, okay? It says in verse 23, if therefore you are presenting your offering at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, verse 24, leave your offering there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and present your offering. First thing, you should note the response of the offender is culpability. He or she has to realize and recognize that they are the wrongdoer. It's the offender. The person bringing the gift is the offender, not the offended. You remember that your brother has something against you. You've done something to them, and the relationship is not the way it's supposed to be. The offender has the responsibility to act. Okay? As the person coming before the Lord to worship, okay? If you remember that your brother has something against you, go and be reconciled. Offender has culpability. Number two, the response of the offender should be immediate. This could probably read in today's vernacular drop your gift like a hot rock. Right? Stop. Why? We'll see in just a minute why. But it should be immediate. The response of the offender should be immediate. Number three, the response of the offender should recognize the disruption of their spiritual relationship with God as a result of the offense. When you come before God, God's going to say, hey, there's something that you need to take care of before you come to worship me. Because if you can't if you can't be reconciled with your fellow man, there's an offense between you and them. That needs to be taken care of before you can come and, and come before me in worship. <clears throat> there's a whole lot of offenses that go on in the church, and we at ABF, no different, right? <clears throat> We've had numerous issues in the church body, both here and around the world, that creep in and cause us to have division with one another. And we never find a good, solid way to reconcile. This is a good text to take home. It affects your relationship with God at that moment because there's something he wants you to take care of first. Number five, notice how the offender, and this is kind of subtle, has to be prepared for an immediate response to reconciliation. If you're in the word, if you're the person who desires to reflect the character of God and you're in the word and you're abiding with God, okay, that immediate response to reconcile should be there. There's something wrong. I need to take care of this. 
You should be, brothers and sisters, I should be, when I know that offense is going to come, because it's not if, right? It's when it comes. We will have offenses towards one another, and we need to prepare our hearts for when those come, that we seek out reconciliation, that we seek forgiveness. Our hearts should be ready to do so and prepared to do so. Why? Because God's already prepared to do so and has done so. Our human relationships, once an offense is reconciled, should be able to resume. So the relationship with God is assumed that once that hindrance has been taken care of, the relationship with God is restored and we can move forward. That hindrance that was preventing us from worshiping him with integrity has been taken care of. It's assumed that that should immediately happen and now we can immediately come back to a wholesome worship of the Lord. There may be certain boundaries in place or the ways that the relationship may operate differently, but we desire to see relationships reconciled and restored. Amen? Do we see that in our world? Not at all. It's almost as if they're, they're in this mortal and, mortal and pestle, and the world is just grinding people down with bitterness and unforgiveness, and they become miserable. Miserable. And we of all people, why do we have or should have such joy in our lives? Because we've been forgiven. That was number six about resuming the relationship. Immediately, once, once it's been restored, we can resume that relationship, that worship. Number seven, the offender is the one who remembers. The offender is the one who remembers. Why? Because it's the offender's responsibility. You're the one who offended. That totally makes sense, right? It doesn't say that the one who offended has said anything. This kind of puts the burden of responsibility of reconciliation more on the offender than the offended, right? It totally makes sense. You're the one that disturbed the relationship, right? So if you remember that your brother has, or sister has something against you that you've offended them, go. And you know what? We're all imperfect, right? We all offend. We all get offended. But this is the way in which our lives will be made manifested differently than that of the world. And by doing so, we glorify God, we obey his commandments, we demonstrate love towards one another, and we reveal the kingdom of God here on earth. Wow! Wow. And the outside pressure of the world right now is for us to hate, to divide, to not forgive, to withhold forgiveness. Nothing There is no quality, there is no quality better for a believer to demonstrate than that of forgiveness. It is the most Christ-like quality. Why? Because it's a total letting go of any rights to vengeance, revenge, payback, you name it. And it's an ultimate desire to want to see the relationship restored. It's kind of like the... 
the height of, of humility in terms of our relationships down here. You show me somebody who forgives, I will show you a person with character. It's one of the hardest character qualities to demonstrate. Why? Because it, re- it, it requires giving up your pride. And because of our fallen flesh, it resembles Christ the most. Of course, it's going to be the most challenging for us. How about the side of the offended party? Doesn't really talk about it a whole much, but the unwillingness or lack of obedience to give forgiveness to others is not a neutral act. It's an evil one. Beloved, what the world does with cancel culture is not morally neutral. It is evil. It is evil not because the world says it is or isn't. It's evil because God says it is. It desires to hold on to a spiteful or hateful attitude towards the offender rather than the desire to restore the relationship. We are commanded to forgive one another. And Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has forgiven you. Tender-hearted. That's the preparation for forgiveness. Be tender-hearted. When you look at your brother or sister, you see the image of God, a soul that Christ died for, and a person who is with you in this family as we're walking on this earth trying to display the kingdom of God before an unbelieving generation. Where Christ said, they'll they'll know that you're my followers. Why? My disciples. Your love for one another. And the greatest act of love at this moment is the ability to forgive. To forgive. So, I'm going to ask everybody here a rhetorical question. When God gives a command and we choose not to obey it, what do we call that? Say it one more time. Sin. Sin. To refuse to forgive is sin. Scripture puts it this way. To know what is right and not to do it, to him it is sin. And that's, that's talking about something a little bit different, but it it applies even more so to direct commands, correct? Psalm 66, 18 says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. If you, if your heart is set on this bitterness and unforgiveness, I can look at my sister and, and her and I will nod at each other. We have family members to this day who have spent decades not forgiving one another, missing out on the relationship moving forward because they want to hang on to bitterness towards one another, only to have one of the husbands pass away. And now that relationship can never be restored because he's gone. Painful. And that's not where the story ends for for anybody. We all have relationships that it's almost too late. You know, <clears throat> worship of the Lord begins in the heart. 
no matter how much effort we put towards making our time of worship here on a Sunday, if sin is held on to, then the ability to worship the Lord in spirit and truth is temporarily compromised. It's hypocrisy. We want to come before the Lord with broken hearts and and open minds and hearts to his word. We want to be people of obedience, living and walking in his truth and his word. We don't want to have the relationships around us be the, the stumbling blocks to our ability to worship the Lord. And we are people. We're the people of God. The Spirit of God resides in one another. We're family like no other. If we can't forgive each other, who can? And by not forgiving, we deny God's power to be able to do so. How's that? So look at verse 24 again. Leave your offering before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother, then present your offering. You know the word leave? I'm going to get all Greeky a little bit. I have to since Spencer's not here. It can be translated as abandon or forsake. We should forsake our gift or offering before the Lord in exchange for the priority of a restored relationship with each other. Why? How about 1 Samuel 15, 22? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed better than the fat of rams. Boy, if we can just get our hearts right, everything else would would come, right? We live in such a, a society right now that is destroying one another. How do, we, how, do we, how do we make such a difference by forgiving one another? You know, I was watching on TV, <clears throat> actually Facebook, which is now TV of today, I guess, um, this parachuter, and he went off a cliff, and um, you know, he's, you got the camera, and you can see him falling, and all of a sudden he goes to pull the chute, and the chute opens up, and then it twists around and gets caught up in itself. And you can hear him frantically trying to fix that parachute. And he's gripping and hanging on to that parachute for dear life. And he somehow manages to get it untwisted and it opens back up. And this sigh of relief, you know, uh, just overwhelms him. And, um, And I was thinking, you know, the more and more that this world becomes chaotic, unforgiving, and cruel, the tighter we need to cling to God's word. Amen? Because it's the only thing that's going to save us. The word leave can be translated as abandon or forsake, and I think this is further emphasized by Jesus' statement of go your way which is really one word in Greek, hupago. Now, the Vines New Testament Dictionary defines this word as this, to go away or withdraw oneself. Okay? 
there's a little bit of self-responsibility. It's not like I feel bad and the guilt is making me go away, kind of like this external thing. It is I recognize where I'm at and I need to take care of this. There's some responsibility kind of tucked in there. It's often translated as to go where or withdraw oneself, often with the idea of going without noise or notice. Quietly leave and take care of the issue, then come back and present your offering. Before we make a joyful noise to the Lord, we should make noise that accompanies reconciliation with those that we have offended. This was a very, very, very personal passage for me to preach today. I have offended in a major way in the past. And seeking forgiveness and reconciliation was one of the freest things that I could have done. And it's taken a long time to get there. But look at what we can do when we forgive. We build each other back up. We see the best in the relationship and not the worst. We see what the relationship can be, not what it can't be. And we see how that relationship, when restored, can honor God, right? And build the kingdom of God. These are all the things that the world does not focus on. It doesn't matter to them. What matters is payback. And let me tell you something. For the world, justified payback is coming. It's coming. We have been forgiven, beloved. Let us be forgiving. Amen? So can we see how this differs from cancel culture? How our desire should be to see forgiveness extended and relationships restored? Especially for the well-being of the other person and your relationship with them, the testimony before unbelievers, and the ability to worship the Lord unhindered. It is so freeing because when you've offended somebody or you, you, let's put it this way, when you know you're in sin and you come before worship, what's on your mind? That's sin. It should be. Some of us, like myself in the past, engaged in sin, You come to church, and it's the first thing on your mind is, I have this issue that I have to take care of. And the worship never seemed right. And then once that reconciliation takes place, once that offense has been made whole and righted, worship can go on. Now your mind can stay wholly focused on the Lord, unhindered by knowing that you're refusing to do what the Lord commands you to do. And that's to restore relationships. Look at it this way. Look at verse 21. And look at the very beginning of verse 21. If you can throw that up there, Joel. What's the first phrase? You have heard that it was said of those of old. Tradition, tradition, tradition. You have heard. 
This is what was handed down, traditionally coming down through their culture. This is what you have heard. What does Jesus say in the next verse? Joel? There you go. But I say to you, who's speaking? Jesus. Listen, beloved. The world may say to you this, but the word of God is telling us this. Amen? The people that back then, they were not following what God had commanded, but rather what was traditionally handed down. So what are we going to do? Are we going to listen to what the culture and what the world is traditionally kind of handing down to us? Or are we going to follow God's word because we believe it to be God's word? If we truly believe that what we believe is really real, then we will believe that when God says do this because it is not only right but good, and ultimately those things will work towards our good, we need to do it. There may be some of you right now that have some people in your mind in terms of who you need to approach. And if that's the case, I implore you to not let pride get in the way. And even if there's a rejection, you have done your part. Be at peace, if possible, with all men, right? Scripture tells us. And that means us doing our part Obedience. Last verse before we close. James chapter 1. Just a reference. Verse 19. But this you know, my beloved brethren. But let everyone be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Why? For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Worldly anger, worldly bitterness, worldly revenge does not achieve what God wants to achieve. That kind of anger, there's righteous anger, but the general anger of men does not achieve does not achieve the righteousness of God. Why? Because it ultimately, if left unchecked, will breed bitterness in us. That doesn't achieve the righteousness of God. Revenge, bitterness. We were just talking about leaven, the hypocrisy, and having that affect us. Let's not do that must be immediate. You must recognize that you're the offender. You must recognize how it compromises your ability to worship the Lord and how it is your responsibility as the offender to go and be reconciled with your brother or sister. There's also people who have not offended you. They've offended somebody else and you treat them with unforgiveness. That's even worse. And ultimately, all sin is against who? God first. 
all sin is against God. So let us be a people that demonstrates the righteousness of God, the goodness of his character, and man, let's demonstrate what the world cannot do through us. And let's be a people that forgive one another. And all God's people said? Amen. Amen. Let's bow our heads. Father, so glad we had a chance to look at your word this morning. So glad that you prepared us through the worship with song and with the bread and the cup and the reminder of the sacrifice that was made. You sacrificed your son on our behalf. You gave the greatest gift to make forgiveness possible. And now we, as faulty, sinful human beings, want to withhold forgiveness and and withhold our ability to go and seek forgiveness from those we've offended? Who do we think we are? So break our pride, Lord. Stir within us a desire to be tender-hearted people who love your word, who love one another, who need to be encouraged to not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And that comes by being in the word. Help us to obey your commands. Help us to be lights in a dark world, demonstrating the love of God and the love of Christ and how we treat each other as well as how we treat the world. That they might be confused and confounded by what we do, but that we might be honoring the Lord, obeying his word, displaying kingdom-like behavior so that the world at the very end has no excuse. Father, take this word implanted into our hearts. Help us to be more like your son, Jesus Christ, and be people who forgive. All for your glory. Amen.